0: All right, so we are joined here today, a special episode, we got two awesome guests with us, recurring guest, Carl Thomas, and first time guest, Nick Hun. So Carl, why don't you kick us off, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, and then we'll go and have Nick introduce himself. Perfect, Dave, thanks
1: as always for having me back. Um, So my name's Carl Thomas. I've got a background in telecommunications from setting up a service provider back when I was a lot younger to working with a network carrier and helping them transition from just providing network services to computers to really embracing the internet of things. I then set up Audio Wings, which is really looking at the evolution of airborne technology and how we can provide really compelling experiences through audio content directly to headphones and um, that work autonomously. And as part of that, I set up Wearables London, which was really a forum to try to understand at the time what was taking place in the wearable space back in 2013, 2014. And that's how I came across um, Nick Hun, who I think the first time you met Nick, you introduced yourself by saying that you had worked with wireless technologies and everything from snowplows to sex toys, which was <laughs> my interest.
2: Well, there's a marketing line that obviously worked somewhere. If you can remember it. Um, I've spent most of my my life, not just my working life, making things. I'm a physicist by background. Um, I've worked on all sorts of products. Um, some of the more amusing ones or I mean, very useful ones amongst those sort of high power lasers and also sperm and embryo freezers. So it's fairly wide. Um, for about the past 30 years, Um, I've been really involved with communications and wireless technology Um, started a couple of companies um, in that time and those were very much involved with technology that we put into other products. About 10 years ago I started to get more involved with audio products and for the past sort of seven or eight years I've been spending quite a lot of my time chairing the hearing aid working group which is part of Bluetooth and that's been working on making Bluetooth technology much lower power, um, not just for hearing aids, but for the whole next generation of um, audio wireless products. So I've very much been sort of, I suppose, at the forefront of what's been happening in hearables. Um, As well as designing the technology, I'm fascinated by what it does for the market because we have hearing aids sitting at one end of really, really complex and clever technology products, but that makes them quite expensive and they tend to be targeting an old demographic. But we equally have more and more use of hearables. I mean, anybody just looking out the window almost today will notice that everybody is walking around with little white things in their ears or other colored things in their ears. Um, Every Zoom call has got everyone wearing them now. And that's a market that's, and we, we, developed the core technology for that back in 2003 and it didn't do anything for a long time. And then it suddenly took off. And one of the by effects of COVID is everybody is now using audio conferencing, video conferencing. And that market is just exploding beyond anyone's expectations. Um, So, I mean, that's where I am. I'm really excited about what you can do with sound, uh, what you can do with hearing and what you can do with ears.
0: That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, You know, this has been a long time coming just for the audience out there. Um, I met Carl through basically Nick's work on Twitter. Um, The two of us connected by being really big fans. And uh, that was sort of the impetus for me to start my blog, which led to the podcast, which led to this conversation. So cool how everything came full circle. Mm And, um, you know, for this conversation, I have a million questions, so I'm going to try to keep it uh, focused and and a little bit tightened up, but really what I wanted to do for anybody that hasn't read Nick's work before he puts out usually like a five year assessment of the market. And he did, you know, Hearables, the new wearable back in 2015, or it was slightly before that, I think. Um, And, you know, he kind of laid out what he had anticipated uh, the market to look like for this product category and the different subsets of products within the category. a lot of it came to fruition and then recently he put out his you know 2020 to 2025 outlook which about two months later um you know it was altered a little bit by covid so we're going to talk about how the pandemic has impacted things but to kick things off what I really wanted to do Nick is um you know Carl and I I think throughout this conversation we'll just interject with questions that we have but I would love for you To just sort of share, you know, when you wrote that first report back in 2015 ish five years ago, um, you know, when you were looking at this market at the time. um, Can you kind of like outline some of the, the broad strokes of things that you were anticipating, and then speak through the things that that did come to fruition and why, and then some of the others that did not. Um, and then from there, I think we'll go into the next five years, but I always like to look at the past as a precursor, you know, as a reference point into where we're headed. So I'll kick it over to you from here. Okay, well, I, mean, I suppose
2: a lot of this goes back um, almost 20 years now for when Bluetooth was first um, being developed. And in those early days, there were two main thoughts for what Bluetooth would do with audio. And they were both really just about voice and telephony. One was as the headset um, to allow you to go hands-free. And that was probably, at the time, it was thought it would be something more to happen in the office and in call centers rather than what actually ended up with being taxi drivers. Um, So often you see the unintended consequences that, that drive technology in a different way. Um, We got the sort of the taxi driver headset because of all of the issues and concerns about people holding mobile phones when they were driving. Um, That was what really made that market take off, because in the US, the network operators got about a third of their revenue from phone calls that were made while people were commuting into work. And they were absolutely scared and senseless that that would all be shut down if somebody ran over sort of small little child and the industry was stopped. So the phone companies went out, promoted Bluetooth as the way to get round this, to say, look, we've got a safe way, and that's really what started Bluetooth going and changed its direction from being sort of a lower speed way of internet connection, which is where it actually came from to begin with, as Wi-Fi was taking that over, And becoming very much oriented into its key business which has grown which has been audio if you move on a few years um, once car companies had started to put bluetooth in they thought well why don't we use this for audio as well then you can stream music from all of these new sort of ipods and mp3 players and we developed the a2dp specs and they sat around there gathering dust basically for the next 10 years or so not because there was anything naturally wrong with them but most people were still using the sort of the one dollar earbuds that came free with their music player and what appears to have changed that was the growth of streaming services Um, around about 2013 you started to see bluetooth headsets take off and they almost exactly matched the growth of spotify um, subscribers and it looks as if it was just the fact that when you're listening to something on the move, when you're commuting, it's easiest not to have to sort of have a wire caught up as you're getting into a bus or off a train. Um, And it's that little ease of use thing that took it from being really just a geeky techie market to driving it up to something that people were saying, well, look, this is a real alternative. And at that time, it was all the good old headphones that were being used. Um, many of them without the capability to answer voice calls. What then really changed things was a very, very brave Kickstarter campaign by a German company called Braggie, um, back in 2014, that came up with a set of earbuds called the Dash. Um, They weren't the first person to say they're going to do something special, but that was a pair pair of stereo earbuds Um, which was new, Um, and they incorporated almost every form of biometric sensor you could think of. Um, It was the classic you don't want to do it this way approach, and it is greatly to their credit that they actually managed to get most of them to work and ship them, Um, and it made the rest of the industry start to think that we can move from headphones to, to earbuds. Um, I'll come back to the biometrics a bit later on, um, because Braggie got them out there. We had a whole host of other um, crowdfunded companies out there trying to make earbuds. Um, There's about $50 million of investment that went into those companies over the next few years. Um, Not an awful lot of them got to market, but it's really sort of raised the prospect for the big companies to do it. Um, Samsung got in early with some it's Galaxy Buds, which um, they worked. They weren't bad, but they didn't really get the market to take off. And then it all changed when Apple launched the AirPods. Um, and that was quite a long journey for Apple. I mean, Apple had for a long time, I think, as had every other phone manufacturer wanted to get rid of the three and a half mil jack on a phone. Um, just from a mechanical point of view if you're designing a phone that mechanical jack takes up a lot of space it's really difficult to make it waterproof and it's the sort of thing that any design engineer will look at it and just say how can we get rid of it and the real issue is that but everybody uses that to listen to their music so it needed two things to come together it needed to say yes we're going to do that but we have got to have a viable alternative that will allow people to connect wirelessly. And the AirPod project was a good five years or so in the making to actually get those products out. Um, And if we look at hearing aids, there's a reason they're expensive. It's really complicated to get a working radio, um, a decent transducer and microphones and a battery into something that small. Um, It is very, very challenging. And we saw that with the early crowdfunding companies who um, came up with these concepts. A fair number of them, even with some really bright people and a lot of investment, failed to get products to market. Um, Doppler was the classic one that actually said, look, this is difficult. We're not going to manage to do it. Um, Let's at least be honest and stop now. Um, before we just have to lock the doors and throw everybody out. They did a very ethical sort of close down for a company. Um, but most others struggled. And Apple, I think, took the opposite approach to Braggy, whereas Braggy had said, let's see how many clever things we can throw in and make this the most incredible thing you've ever come across. Apple said, we're just doing one thing. We are doing audio. And our only goal is to make it sound as good as a pair of wired um, earbuds. And they managed to make it work. And it's fascinating if you read all the early media reviews, they are almost entirely negative. They are, why would anybody wear this? You look stupid. Yeah. And there's an article I've written that people can go and find. And if you look at the design principles there were so many things that were right about the why the way apple did that and i don't think we'll ever know whether those were intentional or whether somebody just came in one morning and say well make it look like the assisting one i've just cut the cable off this is what it looks like Mm -hmm. but it happened to make it work well um the problem of getting your left and right ear synchronized is a really difficult one um if you get them out by just sort of 20 microseconds or so you can hear this or feel the sound image moving in your head. It's really disturbing. But synchronizing two independent devices like that's difficult, particularly if they can't talk through the head and Bluetooth can't go through your head. Um, Most wireless earbuds use another wireless technology alongside Bluetooth to actually do that synchronization. Um, But if you move your antenna down as you do with AirPods, so more to the jaw, where you haven't got a wet, soggy brain in between, it works much better. And there's lots of little bits like that that, either by design or accident, and there was probably a lot of design about it because this is Apple. Um, they got it right. Um, the charging case is brilliant because it makes it you it makes you want to put them back in. A lot of other charging cases, it's just fiddly, and you think, no, oh, I'll just leave them on the desk, and then you find them uncharged. And that makes the user think that these things actually have a battery that lasts all day. uh, Whereas it doesn't, you just notice the fact you keep on recharging and recharging. Now That's an interesting differentiating issue for hearing aid companies. Because typically, you don't take your hearing aid out to recharge it during the day. Um, If you've got a hearing loss, that hearing loss works every minute that you're awake and you need something to work every minute that you're awake. Um, And that's something that still is one of those, it seems an insignificant little differentiator, but in order to get that battery life that goes into days is why hearing aid companies have to design their own silicon. Um, Now, Apple, of course, did the same. The AirPods have Apple's own Bluetooth chips. And one of the things about the Apple AirPod is it took quite a long time to develop. what I don't think we know, and I would love to know and will probably never be told, is whether those original designers ever thought they'd be a second generation. Um, or whether it was just a statement product that they had to have at the point that they launched a phone without a jack. Um, Apple obviously have Beats. Um, they would probably have considered that a lot of the connections would have gone to there. But I don't think anybody, even in their wildest dreams, thought that the AirPods would take off the way they have. And for much of the first three years, they basically owned the earbud market. Um, they have, depending on which analyst you look at, between about 80 and 90% of sales. And not just on um, iPhones. I mean, for the first time ever, people were buying Apple accessories to use with Android. Um, mm-hmm. And it really was a stunning success and a testament to that design principle of let us just concentrate on one thing and do it really well and we've seen that now move on as we go through the next generations that apple are beginning to add additional features it's keeping themselves at the point of the market and they are still for many people the earbud to go to Um, it's interesting that they saw the need to do their own silicon um, we've seen that also over with Huawei with their free buds, um, that again, you've got a company that sees the potential there and has developed its own silicon that it's rolling out into its audio products. Um, now, the rest of the world, in a way, has been at a disadvantage because in producing those chips, those two companies sort of stepped beyond what was readily available. Um, The two big independent chip suppliers of audio products, which are Qualcomm and Broadcom, have now very much caught up with that. And we're seeing this, that a whole range of products are coming out, which really are beginning to challenge what um, the main leaders in terms of Apple and Huawei are doing. And they've taken a very clever approach. I mean, if you go back to the history of Cambridge Silicon Radio, which Really got market dominance in all of the early Bluetooth audio chips that was then acquired by Qualcomm. They did so well because they produced reference designs where anybody in the Far East basically just took a chip, they got the firmware, they could twiddle a little bit of it to say, well, these are how many buttons I'm putting on it. But then they just put it inside their own plastic enclosure and shipped it. And with the latest Qualcomm chips, you've got the same thing, but extending even more. In that they've got a very advanced, very clever chipset in there, uh, but they've got some DSPs in there that allow you to do all of the noise cancellation, all of the other features you may want. And they're working with a number of partners that develop audio algorithms to provide that ability to customize what your earbud is going to do. Now, there's a lot of earbuds out there that still obviously do the same thing where people say, we'll take the chip, we'll take a couple of transducers, we'll just put it in our plastics and ship it. Um, And those range from the people that try to be an AirPod look-alike to the ones that want to be something really sort of strange and diverse. But we've still got that experimentation. I was just looking this year, there's been over 10 million contributed to crowdfunding campaigns for earbuds. Uh, around 100,000 people putting up money, basically for people to play with Qualcomm chips. Um, So there's still a lot of independent um, innovation out there that's driving this forward. Um, And it'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, I mean, our love affair with things we stick in our ears um, is great. I mean, at the point that we've banned little sort of plastic ear diggers, um, everybody's putting little plastic um, Bluetooth in instead.
1: It's funny because you talk about the curse of the reference design and how it afflicted wearables when Fitbit really had market dominance around, you know, things that we put on our wrists. And you're absolutely right. You can definitely see the same thing happening with air, with um, things that we put on our ears now. But then also, I guess it leads you to think about what comes next. You talk a lot as well, um, especially, pre, you know, previously in our um, one-to-one chats around the opportunity for providing services which are relevant to you when you have things in your ears for three, four, five hours a day. And when you think about what iPod and iTunes did to the music industry and what iPhone did to the kind of carrier industry, I often think about what's the opportunity for Apple to almost assume another kind of big market, behemoth and generate, take the profit from away from that and, you know, bring it into airports. Do you see anything, any category that AirPods can kind of attach itself to to really start to, you know, generate a large amount of market dominance and also start to differentiate itself from all these copycats that are out there?
2: Well, I suppose that brings us back into the biometrics. Um, if you look, go back to the early Dash, one of their aims was that you were going to put heart rate sensors, temperature sensors, um, all sorts of other um, biometric sensors, because the ear is a really good place for measuring stuff. Um, it's the part of the body that keeps us stable. Um, It's actually designed for that. And the wrist is about the worst possible place to put a sensor because you wave it round. Um, Maybe not so much if you're Northern European as opposed to Southern European, but (laughs) it's not a stable place to measure something. Now, the issue with all of the health sensors is that it takes quite a long time to gather enough data for you to work out what it means. Um, And that's an issue that Fitbit and others have had that initially you say, oh, look, I can count steps. But once you've worked out, you can count your 1,000 or 10,000 or however many steps a day. Um, It's not giving you much more advice. As you get more sensors, so you can sort of converge all of the data that you're getting, you can look at algorithms across that, but it takes quite a long time to do it. And the problem that Fitbit had, as most of the other wristband um, companies have, is by the time they've tried to work out something interesting for the wearer, the wearer has already given up and it's sitting sort of at the back of the bedroom drawer. Apple, I think, have done a much better job of that with the Apple Watch. And it's interesting if you look at each generation of the watch and see, well, what's been added to it. And it's generally one more health sensor. For each generation and at each point they haven't said well and here's a great app to use with it those have typically developed by third parties that may have come in a few years later but because you're using it or people are buying it predominant to say look i've got an apple watch and my wrist will vibrate when somebody sends me a message it can sit there in the background gathering data sending it off and gradually over time you'll build up that repository of algorithms that may help with your health or fitness we don't know yet we don't we still don't know whether it's a good thing to measure somebody's health um 24 um, 7 whether that will actually help detect things and make you fitter or whether it just turns you all into nervous hypochondriacs mm-hmm. um, that's probably going to be based on the how compelling the applications are that come out of it And I see no reason why they can't take that same approach with their AirPods of just deciding, well, maybe we'll fit a sensor in with the next one. And we won't do much with it because the important thing is you're buying this because you're consuming content. Um, That's why people buy any form of earbud. Uh, But if you can pull some data back at the same time, then that's something we may be able to put a service to not today probably not tomorrow maybe not even in a year but two or three years on then we may be able to have enough data accumulated started to look at this with other things which may be the health data we're getting back from your watch or even what your music listening trends are and combine that into a service Um, and it's a major issue that anybody that's doing biometric monitoring has that unless it's for something really specific which typically is sort of high-end athletic stuff there's not an obvious immediate appeal that you can monetize it takes time and again it's why the ear is a good place to do it because if you can get people to pay the money for things you put in your ear to listen to music um then you can almost sort of by stealth start to get some of that health data back. I I don't think it will be done by stealth. I think it will be perfectly open. But it's a way of doing it in a device that somebody's going to pay money for anyway, just to have the latest one.
0: Yeah, it's that Um, compliance piece, right? Like they're already kind of wearing it. And it's already, like you said, it's kind of a secondary use case.
2: Yeah. Um, And one day it may become the primary one, but it will take time to get there. And if you're into wearables in general, you don't have that time. You've got to hit the ground running. Mm. And that's really, really difficult to do. So well, I think we'll see things evolving into um, our wireless earbuds slowly, um, rather than people coming and trying to hit us around the head with it.
0: I, I feel like, um, you know, the pandemic has sort of, I think it's shed a light on the possibilities of wearables serving as preventative health tools. I know Apple has sort of been, uh, you know, aiming their Apple Watch in this direction, you know, whether it be with the, you know, the ECG monitor alerting you to irregularities in your heartbeat. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting is that to your point, you know, the risk being such a bad location for a sensor, I think uh, Apple in their new blood, uh, blood pressure monitor um, this is kind of becoming apparent is from what I've read, it's not highly accurate um in terms of uh, the pulse oximeter. And so what I, you know, kind of going off of what you said, like what might make more sense is to put that particular sensor up in the ear, um where you know, you have that stability, you have all that blood flow that you know it's uh, and and it's just cartilage up there for the most part. Um, and so, I could see this evolving into something where, like you said, it's kind of through stealth. And um, really, I, I I totally agree with what you're saying where um, you know, if it's just sort of on the onus is on the user to, to sort of, you know, draw uh, conclusions from the data. I'm not sure how compelling that is, but I feel like what is compelling is this uh, notion of it serving as like as apple has coined the apple watch a guardian of health so if it is alerting you to irregularities in your data based on the benchmark that it's established in that repository um, that's where things start to get really compelling but the question that i've had for that is again when we're talking about a super small device um, it seems like there's you know while it might be ideal from a you know, from a measurement standpoint and it's a better place to record that, um, is it actually really feasible from a power standpoint? You know, do, do, are they able to allocate um, the the finite amount of resources, uh, you know, in today's devices toward applications like that?
2: I think you're getting there. Um, I mean, just on those two points, there are companies out there, um is one of them, that will provide you with pulse oximetry measurements, sensors for the ear. Um, You can even do true blood pressure in the ear. There is the issue of battery life. Um, We're not far away from getting the new Bluetooth low energy standard out that will support audio. Um, That gives you a real step forward in terms of your battery life. Uh, We've got a new more efficient codec, the LC3, which also Um, is a lot better or helps you with battery life. But there's still that decision that you need to make of how do you balance off your hours of listening against all of the various monitors that you're using. I think you're at a point where we are looking at products that could be designed. You probably wouldn't see them until the tail end of next year that will give you the best part of a day's battery life for music streaming and probably would give you most of that with a couple of biometric sensors in the ear as well. Um, Another generation of silicon on, um, typically each silicon generation as you go down to a new geometry gives you about 30% additional battery life. Um, Those are the savings you get as you go along. So within a few years you will have devices that you can have in your ears most of the day. They're is still sort of unanswered health questions as to whether it's a good idea to have something in your ears for all of the day, particularly something in the ears that's blasting music at you for all the day. But we're not far away from the point where technology will let you do that. Um, And it's going to be interesting to see where that industry goes. I mean, one of the things about bringing in that is if you look at a lot of the industry apple is really the only company that's done that much on trying to actually process health data um, google's played with it a few times not very successfully um, if it's fitbit acquisition integrates and goes through um, that gives it something else but it is that issue that it takes quite a long time to get a compelling service that somebody will pay for so I don't see it happening quickly. I think we'll see some experiments with different sensors going in quite quickly, but most of the companies, if you look at the traditional audio headset providers are not companies that have a background in data analytics. So, so
0: one, one thought there is um, I agree with you. And I think that um, you know with Apple, uh, being kind of one of the few companies out there that is actually taking the data and doing something with it. One thought that I've often had is will that sort of be Apple's role? And, and they're sort of dogfooding this use case more or less with their own wearables right now. Um, but in the future, I wonder if Apple Health in general will sort of be um, a data repository for third party wearables, you know, with the rise of a lot of these. I kind of think of them as like Fitbit 2.0s, whether it be the Aura the Ring or Whoop, um, these more sophisticated type wearables. Um, have you given that any thought before about Apple sort of serving as that uh, that assessment layer um, to provide a, an understanding of what's being collected, but allowing for third-party devices to feed into that repository?
2: Well, in many ways, that's what they already do with their research kit initiative. Um... I mean, that's very much a low key. It's unusually an open source project um, out of Apple, which is there to try and facilitate health data. Um, most of that, obviously, from the research kit side, comes from Apple devices, but there's no reason why you can't incorporate from everything else. What I don't think we know is whether Apple would see health as a major division that it wanted to do itself as opposed to something that it would allow Um, and there's a big issue here of who is actually going to sort of own that data who's going to promote these Um, we've seen some companies um, saying recently looking at the new apple watches that the governments may actually subsidize those so effectively the government if you share your data with them will pay for your device
0: i think singapore um, did that right or...
2: singapore did that yes i mean it, it's very reminiscent i don't know if you've ever read ira levin's novel the perfect day um Never did, no. he's the author you're better known for rosemary's baby uh, but he wrote a sci-fi one about the time when we all wore a little wristband that would medicate us and take all of our uh, data and tell us what to do in our daily decisions That's which is distoking. becoming remarkably prescient yeah <laughs> Um, and I don't know. Um, health is a really touchy subject, yeah. um, and it's different in so many different countries. As to do you trust your your government with the data? Do you trust your health provider? Do you trust a Silicon Valley company with it? Those um, are
1: quite interesting as well, though. I mean, I think if we look at health broadly speaking, and then start to look at what actually makes up. A healthy individual and obviously fitness is becoming such a core component of that and with what apple launched recently with apple fitness plus um it, it feels like they're trying to get apple watch and airpods to integrate into an ecosystem of of other devices like peloton for example so mm-hmm. that they are starting to as you say dave dog through that into a number of different scenarios i mean if how do you I mean, just looking at that, and then I guess looking at broadly speaking the business model of wearables. Obviously, you know, there's a number of devices out there whereby you are still paying upfront for the device. But do you see that changing slightly as things such as, um, you know, content and experiences start to become a a real core aspect of wearables themselves as opposed to the actual device?
2: I don't know. Um, And one of the reasons I'm saying I don't know is. You add a lot of complexity to do that. And one of the issues that the wearables market has had, um, whether that is a wristband, whether it's a hearable device, is the things that people buy are the things that are simple. At the end of the day, most people still buy a wristband, either because it functions as an upmarket watch and it tells them how many steps they've done a day. But you could buy one of those in the 60s or it's to listen to music. And it's not about content generation, it's just about, I'm going to listen to music or a video. It may be doing other stuff in the background, but the real challenge is to make that other stuff in the background interesting enough for somebody to pay for it. Um, There's the possibility that people keep on saying, well, let's go around with an infrastructure so I can connect this to all of the other devices it works when I'm down the gym. Um, Ant tried to do that with the Ant specification and nobody noticed. Um, With an Apple Watch, you're in a nice position that you can buy one for your wife and she'll probably like it. Whereas we saw from the Peloton adverts, if you say, well, hello, dear, this is your Christmas (laughs) present so that you can be a fit person, that doesn't work quite so well. So there's quite a lot of interesting social aspects about health, which still makes it quite
0: personal. That's
2: a good point. Um, We're going to see, I mean, one of the things when Bluetooth low energy products come out, and you'll probably see some of the first earbuds coming out next year, um, there's a a broadcast ability so you can listen to specific things around you. So when you're in the gym, if there's three or four screens, you can just decide, Mm -hmm. oh, I want to listen to that particular one. I think we'll see the interesting things happening around that with social audio, where you've got the ability to share with each other and swap and change. and all of this technology is surprisingly complex these days even if you're running off a reference design and you have to look at most manufacturers and say "Well, where are they actually going to put the effort in into doing this and we've seen this with apple with i mean the original airpods and now the following generations were probably almost 10 years on from when that first design sketch went onto paper Um, And yet they're still not doing anything other than trying to make audio sound good because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. So I do think we'll see a lot of innovation. Uh, You see it around the crowdfunding um, projects and those are a really good one. But I think a lot of the stuff we're going to see in hearables is going to be fairly focused on getting that experience right. Yeah. Now, the where is that going to go and where will people move out to differentiate is where we start to talk about is there going to be convergence with hearing aids because the health issue that we haven't talked about so far is one of the really big health issues which is hearing loss and the fact that so many people with hearing loss don't do anything about it we know if you've got hearing loss you will begin to lose your social contacts you will get depression you're six times more likely to get dementia. There's recent research out, saying you're, you're three times more likely to have a fall. There's a lot of health issues that come from hearing loss, but we're still not treating it in 90% of people and we're treating it too late. And that I think is going to be interesting as the hearing aid companies come from one end, the earbud companies are down at the consumer end and most are still saying, we assume you've got perfect hearing. We're beginning to see some stuff coming out that says, well, I will do a sort of hearing test for you. I won't call it hearing test as I don't want to be called a hearing aid, Mm -hmm. um, but I will try and make your music sound like it used to sound 10 years ago. And that's beginning to step into that territory of what do you do about hearing loss? And the most important benefit that will probably have is if it reduces the stigma about hearing loss Yes, A lot more people might go and get it treated. And it's like the old glasses one. Um, When I was at school, you would not wear glasses unless you were blind, because (laughs) you would be four eyes or specky or anything else. And then they became fashionable. And I'm hoping that earbuds will do that for hearing aids.
0: Well, I think I want to reference, I took some notes when I was reading your 20, uh, 2020 to 2025, and I think it just should be referenced here. This is a good time to to plug this. Um, in there, you mentioned, quote, hearables is almost certainly the fastest growing consumer product sector we have ever seen, growing from first shipments of a few hundred thousand pairs of earbuds in 2016 to almost 100 million during 2019. Um you know, going off of what you said, when AirPods first came out, I vividly remember the ridicule that people had for them. Um, And I'm not, you know, here to, you know, like say that AirPods are the end all be all, but there has been uh, just a total behavioral shift in the way that people now perceive in the ear devices, I think. And I, and I agree with you. I think that this is potentially one of the most um, positive, trends that has happened in terms of normalizing the idea of people wearing different devices. And we saw just this past year, Phonak, uh, you know, introduced the Phonak Vitro Black. Um, So you now have, you know, that's a hearing aid, but it looks just like an earbud. And I continue to think that, as podcasting spoken word audio becomes more popular, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all to have consumer electronic devices that don't provide any amplification look just like a hearing aid because of the discrete you know, the discrete factor. And so what that all equates to in my mind is that you basically have a population of people walking around with everybody's got something in and around their device, but nobody really knows what for. And to me, that is one of the, I think going to be the most effective ways that stigma really starts to to erode is that people just no longer have any inclination as to why people are wearing these things in their ears.
2: Yeah, I I totally agree, and it's interesting, and I I like to keep an eye on what's happening on crowdfunding campaigns because I mean a lot of them are getting funded, um, more of them are getting to market, which is good, but They, because they're fairly small scale, have far more of an ability to just (coughs) try doing wacky things. And one of the things that was interesting sort of the year after AirPods came out is if you went to the trade shows, you would have halls full of Far Eastern suppliers all making AirPod lookalikes. And the only difference that you might see is that they would do them in black or pink as well. pardon me, um, a few in sort of gold and silver, but it was copy and change the colour. If I look at some of the stuff that's coming up now, you're beginning to see design and fashion innovation in what earbuds look like, Um, and that I think is also going to be a very interesting one to see whether people deliberately go and start to buy something different because it doesn't look like an AirPod, and it's the curse of being the most popular product on the market is you will start to get people saying, well, I don't want to be seen wearing those because everybody else is wearing them. Yeah. Um, And hopefully that may have some effect on the hearing aid market. I I think the hearing industry is probably unconsciously designed itself into a less than useful form factor that in order to try and hide it, you're putting everything behind the ear. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that we're at the point that you want to pick up your own voice because you're using it for telephony, that's the worst possible place for a microphone. Um, So if that industry wants to come out and sort of be a little more upfront and then say, and look, you can do all the things you can do with an earbud, um, we're going to see some interesting design changes. I've seen some concept designs which are really quite revolutionarily different um, from that industry. Um, Nothing that I think has been put in the public sector yet, but people are beginning to think differently. Um, The new GN ReSound ones as well, which have managed to put a microphone actually in the ear Mm -hmm. so that you're using the ear um, (coughs) effectively to channel the sound to you the way that the ear works normally yeah
0: the pinna effect
2: um is a really really important step forward mm-hmm. um Couldn't now anymore. that's because of the advances that are coming out in the really micro miniaturized mems microphones but we're also on the point of getting MEMS speakers which gives you something that's again tiny tiny but sounds like something much much bigger Um, So, there's a lot of tech innovation coming in um, that is going to help. And the thing we see that the tech innovation that's now, and it started in hearing aids, it then moved to voice assistance in terms of having multiple microphones and the ability to just follow a voice around a room. We're seeing that coming into earbuds as well, um, which again is looking at multiple microphones, possibly adding in bone conduction to better pick up your voice when you're talking. Um, And that plays into some of the audio algorithms we've talked about that tries to sense your environment of sort of, are you on the street? Are you in a quiet room? Are you in a restaurant in the office? And adjusting the noise cancellation um, to give you the best clarity of a sound for the environment you're working in.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, gosh, I got a lot of follow-up on that. I mean, you know, in my mind, Really, when I think back of these last five years, um, when we're thinking about really small devices, I think, you know, the innovation that is most intriguing to me is the stuff that's happening at the, at the like, you know, microscopic level almost, um, you know, you mentioned the the MEMS microphones, you know, the balanced armatures, um, the DSP chips. I mean, thinking back with Apple uh, in your assessment, you know, you really highlighted why I think AirPods were such a success, it was largely predicated on, um, you know, initially the W1 chip and then the H1 chip, you know, silicon, um, and and all the work that Johnny serugi and his team did. Um, and so I think that, you know, this idea of, you know, what, what's going to come next, um, I think that it's so much of what's happening inside of the device. Um, and, and it's a lot of the different uh, wireless protocols that go along with it. And so, I really want to get into Bluetooth and how you envision, um, cause I know that you played an instrumental role in this. I mean, uh, as, as you know, when it was announced Bluetooth LE audio, like this is something that hearing aids have been operating off of uh, for some time, but I think that some of the different use cases of this, I think are on the, on, on the surface, they might seem um, you know, they might seem okay good. Um, But when you really, I think, start to think about it, um, and you imagine the way that you know, the the ways in which we use these devices could change, for example, you know, the whole piece around mixing voice and music. Uh, Today, voice is a bit of a novelty. Uh, In three to five years, who knows voice assistance could be a, a primary modality that people are using to interface with their computers. So that seems like really, really forward-thinking. So I'll just want to kind of now move into that space here and open up your thoughts around what you envision Bluetooth LE Audio really enabling for this product set.
2: I think what we're trying to do with Bluetooth LE Audio is give much, much more flexibility than we've ever had before. If you look at Bluetooth today, you basically have two different Bluetooth standards, one called the Um, hands-free profile which is used for telephony and that gives you voice going in both directions and A2DP which is used for music. Um, How that ever got released with that name I don't know but um, that just gives you one way stereo streaming. We've basically gone back to a blank sheet of paper with um, Bluetooth low energy audio and said look we've, we've seen what people are doing We've seen the things where they're trying to extend it with proprietary solutions, where we didn't do quite well enough. Let's try and take that all in and understand what people might want to use audio for in the future. And to do that, we don't really see a distinction between the different types of audio. It might be voice, it might be music, it might be quite low quality, it might be concert quality we don't care it's just a pipe that you're pushing audio down and we also don't care which way you're pushing it down so we structured it with an architecture that you can basically open up any number of audio pipes that you want going in either direction and you can put any quality of audio backwards and forwards down those so if you want to stream music um, and at the same time be able to issue voice commands to say no next track move something on those can happen at the same time um, from a sort of architectural point of view, we've separated out the data plane, which is the audio packets, the musical voice with the control plane, which says, well, and you can connect this to that. You can do things in different ways. You can decide how you're going to answer a phone call, where you answer it on your watch, on your earbuds, on a little key fob device, if you want it. Um, people can just take a toolkit of building blocks that we hope will allow you to do anything with audio. You can synchronize it down to sort of 20 microseconds or so between devices. Um, so if you've got two ears, you can make sure that the sound is always exactly the same with that. If you find a cloned mouse that you put a third ear onto, you can make sure all three ears of it gets at it exactly the same time. Um, instead of being driven by trying to do a specific use case, as we did with music streaming and hands-free. We're just saying, no, you need a toolbox of ways that you're going to do this. Um, We need the profiles at the top that make sure that every manufacturer can do it in the same way so it's interoperable. But we quite deliberately say we don't actually know what all of these use cases will be. If you wanted to have a barbershop Quartet in a room or with sort of little Bluetooth microphones, we can make sure that you capture that at exactly the same point in time. So it's all synchronized. Um, Whatever you want, we're trying to say we wanted to do it. You can go for extremely low latency. So if you're watching something on your TV and you're streaming it to your hearing aids, um, you're not going to have any lip sync issues. Um, But more importantly, if your wife is listening to it on the TV speakers you're going to hear it at the same time as she does because you're just introducing 20 milliseconds or so um, if you want really high quality you can make longer latency you can do more retransmissions lots of stuff you can play down with at that level of robustness and the aim really is to say we're not trying to say you have to do it this way anymore we're giving you that flexibility to go out. And if you come up with a new application we've not thought of, we think you've got the toolbox there that will enable you to do it.
1: I hope you don't mind me saying this, Nick, but it sounds like from an architectural perspective, there was a lot of thought around specifically including this with headphones or headsets or earbuds and a primary device such as your smartphone. I guess with more and more different types of wearable devices coming to market, more and more people were on a number of different devices on their person. Was there any thought around, you know, maybe having uh, some sort of hub and spoke topology whereby Bluetooth is controlling a number of different devices around your person at the same time? So a watch, earbuds, maybe even doing track and trace. There any thought about that type of?
2: Yep, absolutely. Um, and one of the interesting arguments we had early on is today everything is focused around the phone as the source and you talk to the people who make those phones and they basically say, yes, the phone is the most important thing and everything else just does what the phone tells it to. And you then get the audio companies who generally haven't had much to do with standards (laughs) development saying, but hang on, we think we're important too. And we think that you ought to be able from your hearing aid or your headset to say, no, I don't want to listen to my phone anymore. I want to take that voice call on the computer and then I'm going to listen to the telly. (laughs) And you've got the audio sync, which is the device that sorry, audio source, which is what produces your audio and the audio sync, typically the things in your ears that consumes it. And those manufacturers are saying, well, this has always been an audio source led journey where the decisions are made there. We want to have an audio sync led journey where these things that you wear throughout the day are the ones that make the decisions on what you listen to. So it's a much more distributed topology. Um, Now, at the end of the day, there will be applications on phones that will probably still try to say, I am in charge of everything. Um, But we have the ability for audio devices, whether it's a speaker, um, whether it might be a microphone or a pair of earbuds, to have far more of a role in making those decisions.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, The one that I think really sticks out for me is the broadcast feature. I think there's so many different use cases that I can envision there. Um, And again, I think that this this all gets so interesting when you sort of are operating off of this assumption that people are wearing things in their ears for longer periods of time um and so i'm just curious like have you given it much thought like i've seen just like even adverts from bluetooth itself saying you know in the airport for example you would be able to get broadcast to your specific flight Um, but it seems like you could go kind of on and on and on about different possibilities but in your mind, Nick, what, um, what are some things that stick out to you about that that you think would be appealing uh, to different types of you know uh, consumer bases?
2: The airport one is the one that everybody comes up with, uh, which probably shows what a small subset of society most of us engineers actually talk to. <laughs> um, as the vast majority of people, couldn't give a damn about that they don't fly every day uh, <laughs> none of us do anymore um, i mean public transport a lot of those come up from the old telecoil applications which are out there for hearing aid users um, and depending where you live and what the regulatory environment is sort of, you may come across telecoils sort of more or less often um, certainly if you're traveling in the uk and quite a lot of northern europe then every train station every bus shelter will have those if you get in a taxi in London, there's telecoil so that you can hear what the taxi driver's saying. Um, those haven't, or are nothing like as prominent as a lot of the rest of the world because the installation's quite expensive. When you look at replacing that with Bluetooth, you're looking at a couple of tens of dollars essentially for some of those devices. Um, and I think we'll see them appearing far, far more often. Now, what's going to be interesting is the convergence as Some of those start to get used by people that have bought earbuds and have maybe never thought about the infrastructure. Um, the gym is one that's promoted. That's probably an early one that will be picked up. But theatres, cinemas are all very keen to have this in. Um, it attracts back people who might have stopped going. Um, one of the interesting, when I was talking to some of the people that put in the telecoils in supermarket checkouts, Um, And they say that that they put them in because the supermarkets want to be able to tick the boxes and say, we meet all of the assistive regulations. Um, But they were sort of sitting at a supermarket the other day, just looking at people coming through. And most of them, well, not most of them, but a fair number were wearing earbuds and thinking, well, why should they take them out to talk to the checkout assistant rather than just being able to use those to carry on that conversation um, and then just move on? And I think it's those crossover points where it's going to get really interesting. Um, there's quite a developed industry making these infrastructure products for telecoils, and they'll they'll go into sort of receptions in hotels, in, in banks, tickets office. And they're all saying, well, this is a real opportunity to take what's actually a useful benefit for people who have a hearing aid and take it out into the wider community. So it's not all a one-way travel. A lot of the concepts in this have actually come out of the hearing aid industry.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting there is that, uh, you know, it goes to the whole mixing video and audio, our voice and, and music, um, but like this idea of different streams and mixing them together, because again, I think that, um, you know, it, in isolation one time, it might just be trivial, but if, if it's an aggregate where you have these annoying experiences, it can, it can just can kind of like erode the entire user experience. And it's something that really is off-putting to people. So if you can nail that, um, and again, it kind of goes back to like why I think AirPods were so successful was that they just got all the little details right. Yep. And I think that this is sort of um, a progression of that is that, again it's this idea of like you wear things in your ears for longer periods of times for better or for worse that just seems like the direction that things are going especially with younger people um and so i feel like it's going to be what's really cool about these uh bluetooth specifications that have been laid out for bluetooth le audio is that it's it's almost designed with this premise in mind where you know that all right if that's going to be the case how do we make a world that's conducive to this so that you are sort of blending you know your ambient your digital sound worlds uh, into one and i think it's important to say sound world It's quite a
2: lot of stuff i'm seeing being worked on for some of the algorithms going on to this are actually looking at sound not necessarily musical voice but just trying to say well I can not only tell where you are, but I can possibly pick up mood and all sorts of other indicators, which can then feed into a wider application than just listening to music.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, and, and you know, another thing I think about there is like what Doppler was trying to do, where they were being able to isolate the ambulance, you know, they were going to go, they were going to use machine learning to isolate specific sounds so that you really had the ability to like mute sounds in your world and looking at some of the different chips that exist today, like Nvidia's chips, um, it actually seems like that might be kind of plausible. Um, And then to your point though, you know, all of this idea around emotional data and some of the different uh, sounds that can be interpreted by this, I I think there's a lot of possibility. And that actually kind of leads me to another point that I wanted to talk about, which are voice assistance And what I personally feel is maybe the one chink in airpods armor um, that i'll be very curious uh, particularly as it relates to google assistant and alexa Um, i'm not sure if it's necessarily going to only come from say google pixel buds and amazon's echo buds Uh, again it could be kind of a dog fooding strategy where they use their own products initially but then they make the assistants more widely available Um, but i'm curious to get your thoughts on this nick do you see that as um, these you know, assistance in this premise of using assistance as a user interface for the hearable devices. Do you think that's compelling? And if so, why? And if not, um, what are the reasons behind that?
2: There's certainly a lot of interest in using assistance as a form of control. And that's a fairly straightforward one of when you're just saying things like next track louder, softer, whatever. Um, that processing is simple enough, it can be done locally on the phone. Um, in some cases, you may even be able to do it on an earbud, but you'd probably offload it just from PowerPoint point of view. As you go into more complex questions, you're generally looking at pushing that off to a remote server um and that's where you start to hit the issue of latency in terms of what works and can you do it fast enough for just general control so i think we'll see a blend in that um the things that relate to what you are currently streaming i think will be done locally if you start to ask more complex questions such as the ones we'll go away and find something and play it um that is likely to be done remotely and depending on what your connectivity is like the user may well not notice that and there's all sorts of tricks you can play on these as well of just saying just sort of interrupting it to say yes going off looking for it whatever um just make the user think that something's happening while you're actually going and doing it in the background Mm -hmm. um it will evolve and I, i think companies will leapfrog each other in that Um, uh, the interesting one with um, amazon intrigues me that the amazon echo i've always thought is quite a nice concept in that it's extending um the whole of the sort of amazon prime concept and buy me now Mm -hmm. um, out of the home um sadly just at the point where they were beginning to build up a critical mass of this everybody got locked down and stayed at home so um we don't actually know whether that experiment is going to work yet or not but that's one of the things where an amazon could play very well if it can say i'm going to actually take the voice assistant which amazon largely invented and make it mobile i Um, think
1: that's actually quite compelling because especially when you think about the developer ecosystem behind alexa mm -hmm. Echo Buds quite a really compelling proposition to go into a market space of people who are already using earbuds and saying, well, look, not only can you use them from this, but you can use them for that and that and that as well. And also there's such an environment behind them whereby innovation is currently always being created for it. So I think, do you see Echo's, the Echo Buds as being a potential challenger to the market share that AirBuds has or do you, how do you see the two kind of coexisting?
2: I I honestly don't know. Um, The first ones looked a little bit rushed to market. Um, They certainly didn't look sort of as elegant as some of the other stuff that you're seeing coming out. Um, I think it was good that they went to Bose. Um, That sort of gave them far more of a brand respectability But I don't think Amazon's had time to actually go and see how to integrate them as part of the Alexa experience so far. Um, Those things take time to get right because you need to see how people are using them. You need to look at the the data analytics from that and start to feed that back in. And COVID and lockdown hasn't helped them on that. Mm -hmm. I'd be intrigued to see what the next generations look like. I mean, it's one of the things with COVID is uh products like this typically have at least a two-year design cycle even if you're basing it on a reference design so everything we're seeing coming to market was started off well before covid it won't be until the tail end of next year we'll see anything that's been started post covid and probably six to twelve months after that before we see anything that might have actually built on any of the lessons of how we are using things differently um that's going to be interesting at that point to see whether any of these companies have actually changed their design roadmaps Um, and uh, that's a much wider thing as to how is covid actually changing your product design roadmap strategy and for most companies i've talked to i don't think it has yet um, they're still trying to do this, of well, let's just keep calm and carry on, <laughs> rather than saying, well, there might be some good opportunities
0: for disruption here by taking on board how this has affected society. You know, as we kind of come to the close here, this has been unbelievable. So many different things to think about. But um, you know, you had mentioned. You, you know, we were talking earlier. You you wrote this report at 2020, at January 2020, and lo and behold, the pandemic hits uh, not soon after. And so, you know, based on what you had initially anticipated, what what are some of the biggest changes that you see stemming from COVID? I know even at the onset of the conversation, you had mentioned just the sheer um, volume of devices that are being shipped right now. Um, So, you know, relative to your original assessment of the next five years, what are some of the big macro um, changes, I guess, uh, stemming from the pandemic?
2: Certainly the numbers will go up. Um, I'm currently working on an update, which hopefully will be available um around the time that people can listen to this yes, nice. numbers will go up um it has sent shock through the hearing aid industry um now they're starting to recover but the whole of that relationship of the way that it's sold through audiology is something that i think all of them will start looking at um It won't change quickly. I mean, hearing aids are medical products. They're regulated products. Anything that runs through that sort of supply chain that has to be prescribed by a qualified physician doesn't change overnight. Um, It doesn't even change over a five year, 10 year period. But those companies will want to make sure that they are never hurt again in the way that they've been hurt this year and we'll be looking very carefully at what to do with hearing aids. And we talk about convergence and generally when we talk about convergence, we always think in this industry of maybe it's the consumer earbud companies are going to take away some of the hearing aid market. It may equally go the other way that some of the hearing aid companies say, well, we've actually got years of experience in this. We've got a lot better algorithms than most of the rest of the people why don't we look at some transitional products in the middle for maybe people with mild or medium hearing loss um, and themselves move into those markets as I mean, I, we all look at hearing aids and think they can't be very good devices if you put some of these on and listen to Bluetooth music for the ones that stream it it's quite amazing how good that is and yet how light that device feels on your ear um, it's probably one of the best-kept secrets of just how good technology can be um, because of the stigma around it. So I think there's opportunities for market expansion from
0: both ends. That's fascinating. Carl, what about you? Any closing thoughts?
1: Um, No, I think I'd probably echo what Nick said in the sense that the hearing aid technology the hearing aid companies sorry out there have worked on so many different technologies which are now you know so compelling and seen as compelling from a mainstream perspective that it makes sense that there's this transition towards looking at a lot of these consumer earbuds that are coming to market and looking at why they can't start to you know make acquisitions in that space or even just start to take market share of products that enter that that kind of space so um, yeah, it's something which I've been thinking about a lot. There's obviously a lot more um, earbuds coming to market thanks to Kickstarter and Indiegogo. And it makes sense that some of these um, companies that do have aspirations to appeal to a much wider base, maybe start to look at these these um, these new companies, these new brands and start to think about you know, whether actually they could start to work with them, acquire them, or even introduce a product that enters into their market space. So yeah, I completely
2: echo what Nika says there. Cool. And perhaps one sort of downbeat thing I should say at the end is we need it to happen because almost all of us now, having been exposed to loud music at an early age, are going to suffer hearing loss. And we're probably going to suffer it at an earlier age than our parents. Um, and the World Health Organization has said there's around a billion um, people under 30 who are already at risk of hearing loss. Um, and again it's one of those ironies as we get more and more addicted to listening to music more and more of the day it's probably going to do more and more damage and unlike glasses which can actually fix it you cannot repair that hearing loss today Mm -hmm. you can only try and make up for it and it will unfortunately still go on getting worse so Mm -hmm. there's a cautionary tale to all of this that how ever compelling these devices may be, um, we need to take a little bit care, more care of our ears than perhaps we do.
0: Yeah, I mean, the what's interesting about that, you're right, it is uh, <laughs> these devices are probably one of the biggest culprits uh, for the, the, the problem that they're trying to solve. But um, something that I've been thinking a lot about really is like this idea where, you know, if you are fearful that there are, you know, if you're a provider or if you're um, one of the hearing aid manufacturers or you're, you know, whoever you might be involved in this space, um, I think we, we are losing the forest beyond the trees a little bit here because I think when you really recognize how big this market is um, uh, in light of the fact that, you know, and throughout your, your whole piece, Nick, you wrote about how, um, you know, like active noise cancellation is kind of becoming standardized and i think along the same vein um some of this like introductory hearing correction is going to become standardized too um so that i i really do have a strong sense that um across the next 3 to 5 years it's just going to be a feature set uh you know within a lot of these different devices where you'll wear them and they will have a corrective quality to it to compensate for the Vast amount of people that have some type of hearing loss.
2: And I should say there that, I mean, noise cancellation is a great thing because it means you turn the volume down. Yeah. Um, the other thing that's happening, and it doesn't really get written about, there's a lot of technology going into the next generations so that instead of just having the little warning flashed on your phone saying you're exceeding 86 dB the phone starts to talk to the earbuds in your ears to understand whether they match. We are seeing work being done to measure the um, levels that are measured within the ear and again, send that back and feed it back to the phone. So devices will inherently get safer um, as we move forward over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, just one example of that is with the Apple Watch, you know, having the sound level meter built into it, um, I think that's, Really promising of where that can lead, right? Where you have your AirPods in, and you, you know, your Apple Watch recognizes that you're being exposed to dangerous levels of noise, and it just automatically turns your your noise cancellation feature on, um, so long as you've enabled that option. But those are mm-hmm. kind of the possibilities mm-hmm. that I could yep. see here uh, existing.
2: And it's interesting uh, and. The- A startup I'm working with in London that's actually looking at hearing uh, wellness. And one of the things they're trying to do is just measure levels in restaurants and events so that you have an idea of what the background noise is. And there's an article I wrote recently. It's interesting. If you're in a noisy environment, you probably today need a social distancing space of about three meters rather than one meter because you're all talking louder. Um, So, right now, stay safe, go somewhere quiet, and tell people to turn the music off. <laughs>
1: and that should have been advice we should have been following for a long time. I think. Yeah, ob- I,
2: I should have listened to that back in March.
1: We're <laughs> <laughs> just coming on to your point as well, Dave. I think also in terms of that um noise cancellation aspect being almost a feature. I think there's so many compelling software entities that have been around for the last five years that have been attacking that problem mm-hmm. that had um the the kind of market penetration of earbuds at it at what it is now to really kind. Of um provide that that kind of solution so i think now that we are wearing smarter things on our ears we are um wearing things on our ears that have some form processing power as well there is a lot more capability for those things to actually have a range of different software solutions that can start to be a lot more dynamic around what kind of sound what kind of audio we are listening to and i think there's a really compelling opportunity there to actually attack that problem
0: yeah Couldn't agree more. Well, guys, thank you so much. This has been an awesome conversation. Uh, One of the best, I think, that we've had on on the podcast so far. So thank you two very much for joining me. Thanks for everybody who tuned in here to the end, and we will chat with you next time. Cheers. Thank you.